You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. From inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I'm Dave Griffiths. Joining me, as always, Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins as well. And uh, guys, Mike, we are... Continuing the tradition of this offseason with the Colts providing several players to us during this virtual period, um, the, the two guys that, that we spoke to this week uh, who are kind of making headlines and seeing their names around the, uh, the, the media world in terms of Colts are uh, Ryan Kelly at center, Anthony Walker at linebacker. And, and I thought that and, and we talked to both of these guys uh, about a uh, some a. A topic, I guess, that's that's relevant to both of them. You figure offense and defense might be a lot of different topics, but there's one central theme to both of these guys and a slew of others, and it's that they're both entering contract years with the Colts. So while so much attention, of course, is focused on this season and what's going to happen between this date and the first date of football, what's going to happen between this date and the first game that we actually see in the NFL— when it comes to front office, they're always looking toward the future. And you know that they have ideas about future salary cap and future rosters in mind. And both of these guys and Ryan Kelly and Anthony Walker are entering the final years of their deal. So they have to show up. They have to show out this year, whatever happens in the NFL. And so so talking to both of these guys, Mike, we, we got just a little bit of an idea that they, they are both, at least they say to us, that they like the Colts, they want to stay here for a long time, and uh, that's uh, probably a lot of Colts fans w- would agree with them. And that was the same message we got from T.Y. Hilton the week before. He wants to end his career with the Colts, and we'll see. What's interesting, again, it's with it being a virtual offseason, you, you sort of look for, look for interesting ideas where you can find them. And, and the fact that we've in, in in the last few months, we've had Anthony Costanzo get an extension, so they took care of that. They decide not to extend Willie Cooker, so all of a sudden, you solve one problem, if you want to call it, let's say issue, and you create another one with Hooker. But I've just at, at, at glance, 18 players entering their last year with the team. And, and these are team players who are almost assuredly going to be on the 53. So you've got a 30-year roster in the final year of your contract. And it's, it, they've got a lot of work to do. And it's easy to say, well, yeah, of course, sign him. Resign him. Resign Hilton. Resign Keller. Resign all these guys. Well, and I, I should have looked it up, and I didn't. I'm under the impression they're going to have about $130 million of cap space again. I've not looked it up. I should. Maybe before we're done, I'll, when Joe or you are talking, I'll look it up. But it, it goes in a hurry when you're talking $25 million for perhaps for Phillip Rivers, uh, Justin Houston, 10 or 15, and Ryan Kelly's. And then before you know it, the money's gone. So it, it's, it's not as easy to say just re-sign them. Joe, this is, a, this is what some people would call a good problem to have. If you have a lot of good players, young players who are coming up through the pipeline, um, because when Chris Ballard took over several years ago and kind of blew everything up, um, this, this was what he was eventually working toward. We've had so much, the Colts have had, I should say, so much salary cap space over the past couple of years. You hear fans in the offseason clamoring for them to sign big-name free agents. It doesn't always happen. This year, maybe Ballard's swinging a little bit more for the fences, but uh, th- this is probably going to be next year a problem that Chris Ballard has not yet faced with the Colts, so we will see just what he does exactly with this new challenge of fitting in these young pieces to see who he wants to build this roster around looking toward the future. Sure, absolutely. I mean, it, 
if you have good drafts and you bring in good draft classes, this is what happens. You get several players up for new contracts at once. So um, certainly a good problem to have you, like you said. And um, if you continue to draft well year after year, there will be instances where you don't bring back good players because you have other good players waiting in the pipeline. And one of those players who this year really kind of is, I would say on the hot seat, is Anthony Walker, who we spoke with this week. You can go online on fox59.com or cbs4indy.com, head over to the sports page, see the entire interview with Anthony Walker, see the entire interview with Ryan Kelly as well. The the Colts are certainly going to re-sign Ryan Kelly, barring significant injury. He's your center. He's going to be your center for the very long term. But Anthony Walker is more of a question mark. Mike, because last year there was such a big linebacker draft class and specifically Bobby Okereke behind them. We saw the Colts play Bobby more as the season went on. He got more responsibility, as you would expect from a rookie in his first season in the NFL, continuing to be given more responsibility with what he's doing out there on the field. So Walker has continually improved over his first couple years in the NFL, for sure. Over 120 tackles last year is a really great number. He gets a couple sacks every year, a couple passes defended, maybe a forced fumble in there as well. But at the same time, the Colts have high expectations for Bobby Okereke. And if he takes another step forward this year, Mike, that could make Anthony Walker expendable. Well, but that, that's just one of the, the, the issues. And right. the, the problem the problem with, with, I hate to use the word problem, but the issue with Anthony Walker is he doesn't play a prime position when it comes to prioritizing your players. If you're listing your top, I don't know, six positions, quarterback, left tackle, premier receiver, pass rusher, Darius Leonard, weak side, maybe a corner, you've not gotten to your inside linebacker yet. Uh, I was looking, a top 10 inside linebacker is roughly 10 million. I mean, yeah, you, you, you sort of cringe. Top 15, you're talking maybe seven. You know, what, what's your squeeze factor? So the, the, the problem you're going to run into is, is prioritizing not, not so much player, but position. Again, let's just, and we'll get to a lot of these guys, but, but on this list, barring injury and bar, let's say everybody plays to the level you anticipate, I prioritize Philip Rivers, T.Y. Hilton, Justin Houston, Ryan Kelly. That's four. Uh, backup quarterback, Noah obviously. Marlon Mack, boy, I, I just don't know how as good as you, you hope these guys are and as good as they've been. Again, I named four or five guys that I prioritize before I get to the guys we were talking about. This isn't going to be – I don't care how much cap space you've got because you, cause you've got to sort of budget. Because uh, let's not forget Darius Leonard in a few years, Quentin Nelson in a few years. So it, it, it's easy to say, of course, sign these guys too, of course. But a guy like Anthony Walker, his biggest problem, I don't care how many tackles he racks up, He's not a prime position. You know, I, I would argue in this defense, Kenny Moore is more valuable than Anthony Walker. And, it's, and, and I don't mean that as I'm not going to Walker at all. Because what you have to do at this position, at inside linebacker, Bobby Okariki. So, so he is, is the natural progression. And then in three or four years, you're looking to replace Okariki. So it's, 
it's unfortunate that like inside linebacker and perhaps running back are going to be positions that when it comes to, to prime positions and prime money, they're going to fall short. So that's uh, certainly a problem for a year or more down the road for Chris Ballard in the front office. Turning our attention more to the immediate future, Colts head coach Frank Reich spoke to the media once again this week from uh, his humble abode here in central Indiana and uh, had a couple things to say about about the offense, about the defense, about the offseason as a whole. Let's listen to what Coach Frank Reich had to say uh, via his Zoom interview with the media this week. I appreciate you guys all hopping on here this morning and hope you had a good weekend and uh, hope you and your families are safe and healthy. Uh, the Reichs were all doing well and um, it's, you know, we're just continuing to reach out and check in on people. So, and certainly hope with Colts Nation, right? Hope everybody out there in Colts Nation is doing well, safe and healthy. And um, hopefully we are, we are onward and upward and trying to be optimistic about uh, what's coming forward. Um, since, since we've talked, I haven't had a chance, and I would be remiss if I didn't um, acknowledge the passing of my friend John Tierlink. I, I know it's been a little bit, but um, John, I worked with him before, and I, you know all the chatter of him being the best D-line coach of all time, I'm, I'm right on board with that. That guy was special. It was fun to be around him. I learned a lot of football in my first coaching job to, to hang out with a guy like John, and not just professionally, but really got to know John a little bit personally and really enjoyed the time, uh, my, here, my time here with him. So here we go, right? Uh, in the next week uh, of, of virtual uh, work with our team, I'm excited for it. Uh, the, the team's had a week off. Um, I know they've been working out uh, still, but we had a week off of meetings while we had the rookies. We, uh, we've had the last eight days, uh, not counting the weekend, but prior to that, we had eight days with the rookies. And that eight days was really spent trying to catch them up to the vets. So now this week, when everybody comes back together um, in, our, in our meeting tomorrow, um, we have the rookies pretty close to caught up. And they're not quite there, but um, so they can hop right in. And looking forward to having all 90 people on that call um, and continuing to progress together as a team and find ways to bond even in this. I know some guys are um, you know, doing some stuff together where it's appropriate uh, with everything that's been instructed. So, um, you know, we're continuing to prepare, you know, really since April 20th, since this whole thing started, as far as the virtual meetings, our mindset has been, we're going to have a regular season. Now we don't know what's going to happen. We're hopeful and optimistic that that, that we'll have a full season together. Um, so our mindset is just to continue this preparation uh, with the hopes that we can start training at, training camp on time and that the season would start on time. And we'll adjust as, as needed and uh, as told. So I'll open it up to questions from here. All right, Mike Chappell. Morning, Frank. Hey, Chuck. Uh, again, you're approaching it like you're going to, like everything's normal, which it's not, obviously. But what problems do, does the virtual platform, I guess, provide when it comes to a value? You, you do what you can with the rookies and the new players, but a lot of players make their bones on the practice field. And they're not going to have that now. How how hard is that going to be to one for you guys to evaluate that, and two for these guys to prove they belong on the fifty three? Yeah, well, there's no doubt, chap, that that's you know that that's part of the equation, and it is. It's not ideal. Um, that part of it's not ideal. So uh, one thing it does do though uh, 
to your point, right? You got to make your bones on the field. You got to prove it on the field. And, and every time you're out on the field counts, including OTAs. But always, every year I've ever been in coaching, the same thing happens. We, we get through OTAs and we do learn a lot, but we're still not in pads. And so, you know, we, we tend to get really hyped about some guys, but then as coaches, we all say, well, we got to wait till we get the pads on because that's when we really find out. So um, I'm not discounting the fact that we don't learn a lot during OTAs. Um, you get to, you, you do get to, but um, you know, we're just going to, we're in the same position every other team's in and uh, we're finding ways to do that. We're, one of the ways we're doing it is we're having guys send videos and we give them like the drill of the day and I, Hey, tell your girlfriend or your wife or somebody or your friend, the video you do in the drill, you know, get a few reps in it, send it into your position coach. We'll critique it. We'll coach you. We're doing little things. That's not near the same, but it's one little step that we can do, but that is part of the process that we are missing for sure. So, so one, one quick follow up. So what you, you're taking is that, that there will be some form of training camp, pads on before whatever's to come You're, you will have some time with the players I mean that's what we're hopeful of I mean you know what what when it was a lockout year I don't remember exactly how it was um there wasn't a whole lot of time beforehand so I guess in an extreme case um it, it, you know in an extreme case it could be a few weeks and we're rolling um you know I think that's an extreme case but uh, we are hopeful and optimistic that we can get some time in pads to get some evaluation done Hey, Stephen Holder. Uh, hey, Frank. How you doing? Um, hey, Stephen. I, I think I remember when Philip signed, you told us, um, or you kind of referenced in a vague way, that um, obviously it's a one-year deal, but you know he has uh, a, a vision of maybe playing longer, and you were kind of working under that maybe assumption. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I guess what I'm asking is, can you rehash some of that for me and maybe – give some insight on what that conversation is and what your outlook is and, and maybe how you'll go about deciding that in the long term. obviously a long way away, but just trying to get some sense of yeah, long-term. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I won't get into the contract negotiations only because I wasn't in those. All right. That's Chris's job. Um, obviously Chris keeps me up to speed with everything, um, especially on, on that contract. Um, so, yeah, there was, there was, you know, it's contract negotiation, Stephen, right? I mean, we're, there's, there was some, it was a normal contract negotiation. There was push and pull on each side and multi, multi-year deal and this deal and trying to get numbers and everything to balance out right. And, um, and it finally just came down to what it was. Um, but I think the spirit of it was a work we're in this together. And as long as Philip wants to play, he wants to be here. Um, it's the NFL. You know, we know he's got to prove it. We got to prove it as a team that he, you know, to keep him wanting to play. So um, I can just tell you from the previous relationship, I, I really believe it's Philip's intent to play multiple years. Um, I really, I personally believe he is more than capable of multiple years. Um, so but as far as how the actual contract gets out, gets worked out, you know, that, that's, that is, uh, it's the NFL. So um, we, we keep things realistic there, but I'm very optimistic. It'll be a multi-year thing. Does that answer it? Does that give you? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. That's kind of what I was looking for. Yeah. Hey, Mike Wells. Hey Frank, how you doing? Hey, Mike. Uh, 
I wanted to, you know, another question about Phillip. As you guys have gone through this process, I think outside of the rookies, Phillip may have the toughest transition considering there's no on-the-field work right now. How has he been in these classroom settings when you guys are doing things online? Is he, you know, pretty outspoken? Is he trying to change some of the lingo up? Just can you kind of go into details on how his transition has been through what's not an ideal situation? Um, Yeah, he's he's a very he's very vocal. Um, you know, in the team, like when we're all on it as a team like this, it's, it's not, you know, no one person is dominating that conversation. When we get in as an offense, you know, Nick does a good job of, you know, inviting participation from everybody. Philip is certainly more than his share. Um, but then when we get in the quarterback room, um, that's where, you know, yeah, Philip has already had an impact in that room. Uh, a few suggestions, a few lingo things here, a few terminology things um, that, because every year we clean things up. Like every year we come back and we see what we're going to emphasize and add a few new things. And so maybe we need to categorize things different, change up a couple code words. Um, Philip is in all those, all the quarterbacks are in those discussions. Um, and he's got some good insight and there's been several, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I know there's been several times where we've just gone to him and said, hey, just tell us how you want this. How do you see this? Do you, are you good with this? Or do you want to call it something different? Do you want to look at it a different way? So that interaction is normal, and he's great at that stuff. Hey, Joel Erickson. Hey, Frank. Uh, what's, what's Ryan Kelly meant to this offensive line as it's kind of formed and gelled and everything over the last couple of years? Um, Ryan's been great. Uh, when I first got the job here a couple of years ago, he was one of the first players I met. And I remember talking to Chris Ballard afterwards saying, well, that was fun to get to meet Ryan because if, if we're going to, I remember saying to Chris, if we're going to go where we want to go as an offense, then Ryan Kelly is going to have to, is going to have to step up and be an alpha dog. And uh, man, I didn't realize how much of an alpha dog he is. And, he has been, he's been top notch. I mean, this guy has taken complete control of the offensive line room as far as the calls, what we do, the protection world and the run game. He's really, really smart football player. He prepares very hard. He's tough. He's got that personality. You guys know talking, he's got that deep voice and he talks with a lot of authority. And he's he's not one for much small talk, right? I mean, he just calm barking out the signals. I just think he, I think Ryan breeds confidence. You know, I, I just think when you hear him make the calls, you hear it with authority, you hear it with conviction. I think the offensive line feeds off that. Everyone talks about Quentin and Quentin is, you know, he is our inspirational leader in many respects, but don't underestimate the the kind of leadership that Ryan is bringing. It's really uh, several of those guys bringing that kind of leadership that's take, that's going to take us where we want to go. Hey, Zach Kiefer. Hey, Frank. Hey, Zach. Um, from all your years playing the position and coaching the position, what is the hardest thing for a young rookie quarterback to learn about the NFL? What do they have to learn, and how do they do it when they're not playing the game, when they're a scout team quarterback or when they're just getting reps in practice? Yeah, that's a good question because uh, having been there and like you said, having played the position and coached the position for so long, I think what happens with rookie quarterbacks is they kind of see ghosts. And what I mean by that is they see things that aren't really there. Um, 
you hear all the other things are true. The game's faster and there's better disguise. And, and, and then what the other thing you see is they misjudge how far a DB can break or how far safety, what a safety's range is. And, and so they got to figure out, they got to figure that out. But I also think that they see some things pre-snap and they assume certain things and that's not always the way it plays out. So um, you got to, what I would talk, what I talk to rookie quarterbacks about is, you know, you got to be patient. Um, you got to, you got to understand how everything we talk about chunking all the time, right? So one of the big secrets to how we teach, I say secret, but is this is just normal commonplace teaching stuff is, you know, there's 11 defensive players there. Well, really, if you chunk it together, we can put them in three different pieces. So you have to understand how guys are connected. And when one guy moves, what that implies about what everybody else on the defense is going to do. So part of our process is helping the, a young quarterback understand in this league how the parts are all connected. So that way, rather than looking at 11 different pieces, he's really only looking at three or four different pieces. And so that way he can play faster. And then he's not seeing ghosts. He understands how the integrity, the coverage in the front, how it all syncs up in this league and the multiple fronts and coverages that you see. So that's just a learning process. And, and you got to see it. And like you said, Zach, they don't get all the reps. So you got to get you got to get the, those young quarterbacks watching a ton of film. Um, then in, when they get out on the field, they have to, you know, they have to put themselves in the play every time. And then I think you have to spend a little bit of extra time with them, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. So we'll try to do all those things. Hey, Kevin Bone. Hey, Frank, thanks for doing this. Sure. Uh, when you look back at your past defense the past couple of years, have you been pleased schematically uh, of how it's evolved maybe a little bit more man last year? You know, obviously heavy zone is still kind of the core principle of it. But do, do you think that needs to evolve or will evolve at all in year three? Yeah, I think one of the things I'm really – I'm happy with Floos in a million ways. I think he's a great coach, has great demeanor, um, very disciplined and very strong convictions. But Floos, like you get to know Floos and you see this really disciplined, strong guy and you think, you know, does he have any flexibility? Can he adapt or is he – or is this – sometimes I think we mistakenly think guys like that are stuck in their ways. Floos is not stuck in his ways. Floos knows how to adapt. He knows how to adapt to our personnel. So I, I see it the last two years when we get guys hurt or when certain pieces are, hey, well, now we got to play more zone or, hey, now we can play more man or, hey, this coverage isn't kind of, we're not getting the production out of this coverage or this front or this blitz. So we're going to change it up. So Floos, I think, is unique or unique. He's the way a coach should be. He's got really strong core principles but yet he's got a creative mind and he understands it's about players, you know, needing to play those schemes. And so you got to fit those players in there and do what's best for them, given your core principles. And I've seen that on a high level, he has that ability. So as we continue to add pieces to our defense, I think it's just going to get better and better on, under this scheme. Greg Doyle. Hi, Frank. Hey, Greg. So you're doing reps with the guy – Online reps, what do Philip Rivers' uh, reps on video look like? Who's he throwing to? Tell me about this. Hmm. Well, I saw one, I saw one, uh, one video. He had, a, he had a net out in his backyard, or actually 
he had a net out on a field that was right down the street from his house. He was out there with his son and he's throwing balls into the net and, you know, and then his son plays quarterback. So they're, they're alternating. So I got to see his son throw a son. That was pretty fun because I, I knew his son, um, obviously know his son from before when we coached together. So fun to see how he's grown and developed. But Philip, you know, this, this particular drill was like a check down drill, you know, where he was dropping back in the pocket, simulating movement, and then had a little net like it would be Naheem Hines checking out of the backfield and then boom, deliver it that way. Then deliver it with this arm angle, working fast in the pocket, doing that. Um, so that's one example of physical tape that I've seen of him out there doing that, uh, that kind of thing. I think, Greg, what's going to happen if I had to guess? I mean, I know this is generally speaking the plan that at some point Philip will be moving here to Indy um, sooner rather than later. And then, you know, guys are starting, you know, more and more guys will get back to Indy. And then as it's allowed and we can get out on fields, it won't be our field. But he'll get together with receivers. They'll throw with them right now. That hasn't happened a whole lot, but I would anticipate that ramping up in the coming weeks. And one, one follow-up, if I may, we, we know that uh, you, you go back with him a ways. We know also that he's uh, – 95 years old and has a lot of experience, but he's going to, he's already got his first job in coaching way before you got your first job in coaching at this stage in the career. No What's that going to be like to be in a coach in a room with the guy and he's a coach. Sort of. Hey, he and I have been talking about this for a long time. Like when this announcement was made, I knew this five years ago. I mean, this literally has been in the works for a long time. So it's really exciting for me. It's really exciting for me to, you know, to see that in him and know that, I mean, I, I just love it. He just, he's football through and through. Uh, that just, we, and that's one of the things you love about him and he's family through and through. So he's football and, and that really his next step. And he has such a clear vision of that, you know, really just speaks to the, to the kind of person he is. And we're certainly excited to have him for, for however long we get him before he takes that head job. Okay. We've got time for three more. Phil B. Morning, Coach. Thank you for your time. Sure, Phil. Um, I'm wondering with today's what rephasing in of uh, facilities opening. Uh, I know the restrictions, and one of the things there was that players that are rehabbing injuries can be there. I'm wondering the status of, uh, say, a Ture or a Paris Campbell or anybody you're keeping an eye on. And secondly, I'm wondering if you guys want your players coming in or just stay put where you're at, keep doing what you're doing? Yeah, no, uh, it's business as usual. The guys who are the guys who've been hurt and who have been coming into the building, um, keep coming in and rehabbing, doing your thing. Our trainers have done a great job of keeping up with everybody. So keeping good progress reports. So, you know, I feel good about the progress that each one of our injured guys is making. Um, and then other than that, yeah, we, as soon as uh, we can get more players in the building, uh, yeah, we, we want that. Because, right, to make up for a little bit of lost time, the sooner we can get together and get out there working, the, the better the better it will be. You feel good about where Ture is? I mean, yeah, I do. It was actually a nasty injury. And you, know, you guys like that, you wonder about how quickly they can come back. And, and I guess the way things are right now, you can't see him physically other than through video. But wonder yeah, about him. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I do feel good about it, you know, because our trainers are talking to those guys every day. Um, I, I've been joking about this with the players and, and so forth. But, you know, we do these workouts. The players do these workouts. 
and um, you know, and there's certain workouts that they have heart rate monitors on and it all goes to the thing and I can see all that stuff. And so I get to see even the guys who are more advanced in their rehab, I get to see all that stuff there. Uh, talk to the trainers every week, how's, you know, get the weekly update. Um, and I just, I think, I don't know, maybe in this environment, maybe there's some strange way that there's no distractions. Maybe there's less distractions for the guys that are rehabbing. Like this is, this is my life. This, I, I know it is normally, but there's no other distractions in the building. I mean, it's, I need to get better to get ready to play football. So uh, maybe that could be happening. Thank you, coach. You got Andrew it. Walker. Hey Frank. So I realize this is down the line a little bit, so bear with me, but last year we saw a pretty consistent trend across the league during the preseason, including with you guys where the starters weren't playing a lot, a lot less than they traditionally would. Um, if, if there's a scenario where players aren't back on the field until maybe camp, have you given any thought to how you might approach the preseason this year with those main guys? It kind of seems like it might be a catch 22 type type thing with what you wanted to do last year. Yeah. We, we on my zoom meeting the other day with, uh, Chris Bowers, uh, cause we're this, we were literally just had this conversation. We had talked about it several times, but Chris and I, and a couple of the other guys, the coordinators, I got together with Chris the other, uh, the coordinators and then our training staff and our strength staff. And, and we mapped out, you know, we just, I had a, I had a plan in my mind for what I was thinking, but I wanted to make sure everybody felt good about it. So, so we kind of laid it out. Chris and I talked it through with the group. And so, yeah, right now, I mean, I could, I, I know exactly how much I want the starters playing. If we have a normal preseason, that, that, that plan is already laid out and, I mean, it's no secret. I mean, I'd like the guys to play uh, in the first three pre. If we have four preseason games, um, I'd like the starters to play in the first three games like we normally would do. Um, same thing we would normally do, ramp it up a little bit each game and, you know, leading up to that third game and get them ready to go. Okay, Mike Chappell, last one. Yeah, Frank, uh, you guys have done so much in the offseason, personnel-wise, receiver with Pittman and running back and tight end. You, you sort of – I guess the question is, how difficult is it going to be to get Naheem Hines, that sort of unique talent? You only get 60 snaps a game. How do you maximize him while maximizing everyone else? Um, yeah, I mean, that's the art of it. That's the art of it. And uh, I feel good about that. I feel like we're going to do that really well, really well. Um, yeah, there's only one ball to go around. but one of the things that makes it easier is our players are very unselfish. And so like, we know, we know how it goes that it, it, uh, Naheem could go a couple games with a relatively small amount of touches. And then all of a sudden he's got 10 catches in one game. And it wouldn't surprise me if there's a game this year that Naheem Hines has 10 catches. I mean, you guys know it just from talking to even Nick last week. Um, you know, Phillip has an uncanny ability to get the ball to the backs you know, check downs and, and using him like that. So um, we need to keep Naheem. Naheem will be very much integrated into the game plan um, on all three downs. Uh, yeah, he's not going to play as many snaps. I wouldn't anticipate he's going to play as many snaps as Marlon and Jonathan, but there's still enough snaps for him to be very, very productive this year. Very productive.
That was Colts head coach Frank Reich speaking with the media this week about the virtual offseason. And Mike, I found it interesting what he had to say about your question specifically, kind of right off the top, talking about the virtual problems with evaluating players. Sure, you can love their heart rates. You can love their uh, times, how much they're running or all that stuff, all the data. And data is becoming increasingly important in so many different sports and uh, across the landscape of athletics. But nothing replaces and nothing ever will replace the ability to get someone on the field and evaluate them in person. It's because the one thing that Frank mentioned, because right now they've missed about a month of offseason work. OTAs would start, I think, next week. And then you've got the veteran mini camp in, in mid-June and then you're, you're dark till July. They always say, you know, don't don't be don't let a player flash on you when they're in shorts and helmets. Wait till they get the pads on. We don't know when that's going to be. There's every possibility that training camp, instead of being four or five weeks, is two or three weeks. So I wrote about it early in the week, and it, it's really going to put a premium on these coaches doing like a crash course in players. I, I mentioned back in 2003, Gary Brackett used the offseason to really say, hey, look at me. I belong here. And he ended up being one of their best Regs to richest players that same year, Brad Pyatt, a receiver, uh, did enough in preseason games to, to, to make the roster. He had he had probably the biggest play in the comeback at Tampa Bay that year when they're down 21. So every year the Colts have, have managed to really give free agents, undrafted rookies, a really, really good look. They get the streak of, I think it's 21 straight seasons with at least one undrafted rookie on the roster. It's the longest streak in the league. Well, will, will they have that chance? Now, Jack Doyle is another perfect example. He used the offseason in 2013 to really have the Tennessee Titans say, hey, I, I, I can be a good player for you. They were going to re-sign him to the practice squad when they cut him. The Colts swooped in and took him. And look what he's done here. Will these players be given enough of a chance because if we've got if the league has a condensed training camp leading into preseason which we probably will aren't you going to have to really focus on getting more reps for philip uh, philip rivers getting those reps for for xavier Rhodes and and sheldon day all the new guys you've brought in and the guys who are going to suffer are the undrafted guys who need they need to acclimate themselves to, to playing the competition, the field, and instead of getting that eased into it during the off season, they're going to be thrown into the deep end of the pool in July and August. Philip Rivers was a prime topic from uh, from Frank Reich's discussion with the media earlier this week, as well as uh, offensive coordinator Nick Sirianni just recently this off season talking plenty about Rivers and having basically uh, another coach in the uh, quarterback meeting because he is literally a high school football coach, or he will be when his career in the NFL ends. So um, we've done Frank Reich. We'll head on to uh, offensive coordinator Nick Sirianni speaking with the media. I'm sure you'll get a lot about Philip Rivers, but um, I wanted to ask more about his pass with tight ends and pass catching running backs. Um, it's hard to not envision him doing the same here with Naheem Hines especially. Uh, fall goes to plan. Do you think he's a guy whose role could possibly even expand um, given Rivers' past with Sproles and Austin Eckler? And what could that possibly look like? 
Yeah, you know, Philip has this uh, great ability where where I think Philip's really outstanding. He's got this great ability to find the running back out of the backfield. Um, whether we're scheming for that guy or whether it just happens within a protection where he goes through his progression and and finds that back. Um, and so I think for sure Naheem will benefit from that. Um, just like, you know, we had Danny Woodhead uh, when Frank and I were together in, with, the, with the Chargers, and I think one year Danny had 80 catches. So, yeah, Naheem's going to benefit big time from playing, from playing with Phillip Rivers. There's no, there's no question about that. Mike Chappell? Yeah, Coach, I was curious. With, with Phillip being, what, 38, and he's never – I was surprised he's not had a top-10 running attack since third, third year as a starter. Are you going to retool things to take some load off of him or just let him be who he is, which the perception is he's down the field thrower? Um, yeah, Mike, that, that's a good question. Um, I just think about Phillip, like – now I was in the the AFC West, you know, when Philip was, you know, had those top, a couple of those top ten rushing teams you're talking about, and I just remember of how deadly he was. You had to stop the run, and then you also had to a deal with this quarterback who could push the ball down the field with the play action game, and they were deadly. And you're you're and you know, and so I get excited about that, you know, that with our running attack combined with with combined with. Uh, how good Philip is in the play action game, you know, I, I, that's obviously very exciting for us because, right, they, they, they can't stack the box. They stack the box. Philip can make them pay with our receivers and tight ends. Uh, they don't stack the box and they keep it, you know, keep too high look, right. We can run the football. So obviously very exciting. And, and uh, multi, we would be just become even more multiple of how we attack a defense, which is always to our benefit. Kevin Bowen. Hey, Nick, thanks for doing this. Um, when you guys evaluated Jacob at, at Washington, I know that obviously two colleges and some coordinator changes, but how much did he have on his plate pre-snap? Because I know that's such a big thing and, and, and for you guys and how important will that be to grow and develop that while he does sit? Yeah. Um, hey, Kevin, how are you? The, uh, that's a, that's a uh, when you, I really look at Washington's program and Coach Peterson and then um, – and he's a phenomenal coach, um, off, great offensive mind. And we really get to see that more and more each day that we're with Chris Strasser, right, our offensive line coach who worked under Coach Peterson for a long time, and Clayton Adams, our assistant O-line coach who worked for, you know, who played under and coached for uh, Coach Peterson. And, and so Jake has been exposed to a lot because he's been coached so well um, by coach, coach Peterson and his offensive staff. So, you know, we're, we're seeing as we go through these virtual meetings, um, his intelligence, uh, his ability to process and what he's been exposed to. And he's, he's definitely ahead of the curve. So that's been exciting. Bob Kravitz. Yeah, Nick, uh, as you know all too well, um, you guys are 30th in explosive plays last year. What makes you feel like that number can, can be improved upon this coming year? Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, uh, you know, we, we feel like that the addition of, of Pittman, um, to our, our group of, of players and just Chris Ballard and his staff of adding just the talent that he's, he's added to the, to this with Jonathan, uh, Taylor and, you know, and then with the addition of our guys that we already have, 
you know, that, that, that will, will, will elevate in that area um, with the explosive playmakers uh, that we have. Again, the, the more you run the ball, be able to run the football, uh, the more they play one high safeties. And we have, you know, we have one of the best big play wideouts in the NFL with T.Y. Hilton. So, you know, that's just going to, with the addition of Jonathan and, and with him and Naheem, or I'm sorry, with him and Marlon uh, being able to attack defense and Naheem and Jordan, um, we just feel like, again, you're going you're gonna to see more one high safety. And, and we know that Phillip can make them pay when, when they have that. Thanks. Joel Erickson? Hey, Nick, uh, how, how confident are you in your guys' ability to get Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor both enough carries uh, in this one-two punch? Yeah. Hey, Joel, how are you? Um, you know, I think uh, very confident, right? We know we want to run the football. We know we want to run the football. And, um, and you know, we know a lot of the good running teams uh, in this league and in the past have had good one-two punches. It feels like it's just a, a one-one punch, though, because we have two such exceptional backs, you know. So, and and it's and we've seen it work in the NFL so much, right? Where you have different contract, different styles of guys, right? These both these guys can do multiple things, though. Like, okay, you yeah, Jonathan's a little bigger than Marlon, all right, but they both have exceptional speed, and they both have ability to make you miss, and they both have the ability to break tack arm tackles and 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 run with power. So they have some different running styles. Um, but again, they're both complete backs. And I think that's a fantastic problem to have is, you know, to have two guys like that, you can, you can feed the football too. It's only going to help our running game. Jim Mayello. Hey Nick, thanks for doing this. Um, I want, yeah, I just wanted to ask about kind of the evaluation of bringing Philip in and, and, and weighing that against what you have with Jacoby and, and what you saw kind of on film from him last year. I know a lot of people have highlighted the interceptions. Frank kind of said that was maybe a, more of a product of just being playing behind in some games. But just curious what you saw in, in Philip and why you guys thought this was the, the right move from your perspective. Yeah. Hey, Jim, good question. Good to see you. Um, uh, yeah, Philip, it was just a very unique situation. Right. You, you had an opportunity to get a guy who's who's a future Hall of Fame quarterback on your roster on an already a very good roster who. Right. Who we know differently than any other quarterback free agent that was out there. We know him so well right? with you know Frank's time and my time and with the Chargers um, system, very similar. Um, and just still playing at a very high level. I, you know, it's been, it's been two years since I've been there. And I, I, when I'm watching, watching his tape, I, I didn't see any drop off in play. I mean, I didn't see any drop off in play. You could argue that 2018 might've been his best season that he's had in 2018. And yeah, I, I agree with what Frank said about 2019 had some interceptions, but product of playing from behind and he's in, and this guy's a fighter and he's never going to quit. Um, so, you know, that, that's what makes him special. Um, but yeah, we just saw a guy who fits well into the system. Again, a very unique opportunity to, to get him here. And, you know, it just, it just seemed like it fit. Um, you know, where Jacoby's really going to benefit from this I, I, in my mind is, I mean, if you look at Jacoby, look who he's been around. He's been around Tom Brady. He started his career with Tom Brady, then went to Andrew Luck, 
and now he's with Philip Rivers. I mean, goodness gracious, that is that is some good company to have and and guys he can learn from. And I know this, um, Philip, being around Philip, he's always had a phenomenal relationship with his backup quarterback. I think when I got to the Chargers in 13, um, how he interacted with Charlie Whitehurst, they, they were best buddies. And then you fast forward for the rest of the time, my time there, he was with Kellen Clemens. I think they're best friends to this day, right? And now Jacoby gets to take that role of helping helping Philip prepare for games. And Philip values that so much. Um, and Philip values that so much from the backup quarterback. I'm very excited um, for these guys to get together, which we have been in virtual meetings, but for them to get together in person and and develop that relationship that that Phillips had with his backups. And I know and I know Jacob that Jacoby's had with the guys that he's backed up. Him and Andrew were very extremely close. Um, I know him and Tom Brady still talk. And so I'm really excited to see how that dynamic plays out of because right, they both prove that they they have great relationships with their with their uh coworkers. And so I'm excited and they really can help each other out. Zach Kiefer. Hey Nick. Um, Jim asked kind of the question I was going to hit on, but I was curious a little bit more on how Rivers landed with you guys. It, was it as easy as it sounds like? Um, did he recruit you guys? Did you recruit him? Or was it was it pretty simple in terms of free agent? And then secondly, you know, we've seen how passionate this guy is, and you guys talk about that a lot. Internally, did you guys feel like you needed that? You needed a guy to come in that's going to be like that? Because it feels like that fell off at the end of last year. Yeah. Good to see you, Zach. Good question. Um, yeah, I think, right, I think the big part of Philip being here is Anthony Costanzo, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith, Mark Lewinsky, right? Those guys are studs. And so that was one of the attractive things for him. He told uh, you guys that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, once it was all, once it was all signed up and, and uh, Chris got all the, all the work done, you know, that, that's something he just kept mentioning uh, after we signed him of how, how valuable that those guys were to him. Obviously, you know, other things Philip has said is he's seen, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before, but when we came up, when the chargers in 2016 played in Indian, in Indianapolis, it was a, it was a good game. Um, we felt, you know, Jason Verrett, a corner at the time, was a was a heck of a football player, um, just going against him every day in practice. And T.Y. Hilton annihilated him that game. And no offense to to Jason, um, T.Y. has done that to a lot of guys. But and I remember, you know, we've we've talked about that. And then Philip saying, "Man, that was one thing he said when he when he signed, and we were able to talk to him. Like, man, remember that game in 2016? T.Y. was a nightmare." And uh, so I think, you know, the not only the familiarity with Frank and I, but I think it's it's more so even the um, and the system, you know, and the system, you know, it's more so even like uh, and Jason, obviously, too, our, our tight end coach. But it's more so the, the players and the and the and the guys that Chris Ballard has, has put on this football team were really exciting to Philip. Um, and again, Frank's called plays for. Philip before and that's a that's a big dynamic like there there's not a lot there's not a lot of question going in Philip knows how Frank thinks Frank knows how Philip thinks so that 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 had something to do with it but again it's those five guys up front 
and uh, and Ty, and not to mention all our other weapons. Mike Wells. Hey, Nick, I wanted to ask you, Frank touched a little bit when we talked to him last week, kind of how this whole uh, virtual teaching is going. And how has it been for you as far as trying to get, you know, more so the newer guys caught up to speed when you guys are doing everything, you know, via Zoom um, when it comes to the uh, classroom sessions? Yeah. Mike, you th- Mike, you think you can really beat me at ping pong? I do. Hey, I- I'll send you a picture of my ping pong table from the basement. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, Frank, from the beginning of this, you know, when this started to become a reality that the Zoom, you know, that we're going to be on virtually online, Greg really pressed us like, guys, you need to become experts at Zoom. Um, and so tech, you know, with the technology of it, I feel like we haven't missed a beat. Like, it's just like we're in there. Like, it's great. And Parks Frazier and Gerard Johnson, they've done an excellent job just keeping everything together as an offense on the offensive side um, with the technology. I really think we're just doing our best to keep these guys engaged um, and make it more, you know, we're, we've always done a lot of question, uh, Q&A with the players as we talk through things to keep them engaged. Um, but we're even doing more so now. Like, so, right, because it, it's easy – in these, you know, it's easy in some of these settings to get focused on something else, right? I'm looking at 15 toys over here that some of them are pretty fun to play with. Like, it's easy to get distracted. So we have to do our best, right? We have to do our best to keep them engaged and keep them interacting. And so sometimes that's just, right, that's just the interaction. Hey, Mike, what do you think on on this, on, on Dice Left? Uh, to Jet Jose, what, how you going to run this route? Like, that's a huge part of it. But also keep it fresh and keep it entertaining. Like, um, like we'll start off – Gerard will start off every meeting playing some music. So they'll come in, and as they come into our virtual meetings, they're playing music just like they would if they came into our, our uh, meeting. Um, you know, we're still busting each other's chops on there. Like, maybe we'll find a video of Mo Ali Cox doing something at his house on TikTok. I'm not, so I guess I'm saying this is what we did this and then showing it, you know, up there, just, just, again, we're just doing things. You, it can't just be, it's, we've been doing things like, yes, we're learning and we're, and we're, and we're doing the things that we need to do at this time, but we have to break up that monotony a little bit, just like we would in a normal meeting, but maybe, maybe a little bit more so. So it's been fun. It's been fun. And that's, I'm a teacher at heart. I mean, I studied my, all my, my brothers and my, my, my mom and my dad, they're all teachers. So it's been fun trying to figure different ways to teach virtually. You know, it's, it's been a lot of fun to just uh, go back to what I earned my degree in in teaching and, um, you know, just think of different ways to keep them entertained and keep them engaged and keep them learning. Most importantly, keep them learning um, so we can get a jump on other, other teams in the NFL. My eight-year-old son just sent me a message. He heard you say, he said, my ping pong game is trash and you'll beat me. Smart, smart kid. <laughs> well, Stephen Holder. Stephen Holder. Uh, see, that's why I use my headphones so that uh, my daughter can't talk trash to me. Um, <laughs> so I, I was wondering something about Pittman. We've talked a lot about him as a receiver, and you know, playing with the ball and being targeted. I'm wondering how much did you guys evaluate him, you know, playing away from the ball, if you will, um, whether it's in the running game or whatever. And and I guess how much of 
a part of your evaluation is that when you're talking about receivers for you guys. Yeah. Hey, Steven, always good to see you. Um, the um, Michael, yeah, I think it's always, you know, Ed Dodds always, pre you know, always presses us to watch more, you know, watch more, watch more, watch more than just the target tape. And so it was fun. You know, it, first of all, it was fun, you know, getting to know Coach Grow through our evaluations of receivers. Coach Grow and I spent a lot of time in, in his workroom and in my basement uh, talking through these receivers. And so we've watched, we watched everything you can imagine, right? That not only the target tapes, but the, you know, the blocking tapes and the, and the press tapes and where it's not always going to him. And I think that's where we, we fell in love with this guy of, you know, he just, not only did he impress on his target tape, obviously 110 catches his, his senior year was very impressive, but it's the other stuff he does. You know, uh, it's the Zach Pascal, Jack Doyle stuff he does, right? The, you know, the toughness, the consistency, you know, that, you know, that, that was what, that was what was exciting. Not only, obviously a great phenomenal football player um, with the ball in his hands when the ball's coming to him, but, you know, a lot of special qualities that he had that separated him from other wideouts that we evaluated when it, when the ball wasn't going to him. Great question. Kevin Bowen. Nick, um, after the season, did you, or I guess in the off season now, have you had talks with Paris at all, just kind of how his rookie season went and has he changed up maybe his body, I don't know, physique workout regime to try and stay a little bit healthier? Yeah. You know, Paris, yeah, I've definitely talked to Paris. Uh, high hopes for Paris, you know, to stay healthy and to have the type of year this year that, that we all know he's capable of. Um, so I know he, this guy is – the one thing I know coming out of Ohio State, one thing that we liked so much about Paris was the – not, you know, besides the player and besides the speed and besides the, the dynamic plays that he made, it was, you know, this guy is a leader. This guy is a hard worker. This guy, so Paris understands that and he sees that. And definitely we've talked about that, like, you know, to keep his body healthy. A lot of those things are, are obviously were freak injuries last year uh, that Paris, I know, is, you know, wants to get past. And he's, I, I can promise you, he's working as hard as anybody to, to get there. And I, and I have, I have so much faith in Paris, the person. Um, to get past this adversity and not only get past it, but excel in his future because of it. That's just the type of kid he is. And, and that's why we drafted him. He's, he just fit, he just fit that, you know, what we envision a Colt um, being like. Joel Erickson. Uh, you mentioned Gerard Johnson a couple of times earlier what what's it been like just having him on staff and bringing him in over the last couple of years yeah yeah I really like Gerard um he, he does a phenomenal job um you know he, he first get he first got in his first coaching job you know in the NFL so he had so he had some things to learn but what I what I value what I've valued and what I've seen from Gerard is that he truly plays to to our team motto and Frank's motto and our team motto of getting better every day. I, I don't see the same mistake twice out of Gerard. He just continues to get better every day. And I'm sure that's the way he was as a player. I remember him. I remember watching him coming up and just, and that's, and that's going to just lead to future success for him of, 
in his coaching career because he just he just gets better and better and better and better and he's a sponge to you know the coaches that he's around and the players that he's around to get better and so he, he's done a great job and he's valuable he's a valuable part of this staff particularly you know I'm able to bounce some things off him quarterback hey what you know obviously Marcus is, is the quarterback coach and he does a phenomenal job and Marcus played a long time but Gerard you know Gerard went through the the lockout you know, he went through the, the lockout year. So he has, he has some different insights, uh, you know, and he's done, he's younger than Marcus and he's done it re- more recently, but um, no, but it's been, it's been great having him on staff. He, he's, he does a great job. We'll go two more, Mike Chapel. Yeah. I, I hate to be the glass half, half empty guy, but you've got, you've got a, a new quarterback, a new top receiver, a new top running back, Trey Burton, if I'm not mistaken, you, should, you guys should be in the field right now in a normal offseason. How hard is it going to be to, to get caught up with the, the missed time with all these new pieces? You have no idea how much time you're going to be on the field before you, you play. Sure. I think that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, uh, a valid question and a good point. Thanks for bringing everybody down. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Somebody's got that's, a, that's a great question, Mike. Uh, no, I think the the familiarity that that Philip has with this offense that that alleviates a lot of concern because he's been in this offense before or recently. You know, he's he's been he's been in this offense for the last what eight eight or nine years, and so that I'm not as concerned obviously for Philip. Now, yes, he's got to get in there and he's got to find ways to to talk to to his teammates and. Um, you know, when this, this does get the timing down with his receivers, that's a very important part of it. Um, but I think back on, uh, you know, Keenan Allen, when Keenan Allen was a rookie, he, um, he did not work with the first team all the way through OTAs through training camp. And then Malcolm Floyd gets hurt in the Philadelphia game week two of the season and Keenan Allen comes in and fills in as we know in the rest is history, right? He has a thousand yards that year, you know, this and that. So I think Phillip's very player, you know, receiver friendly where they can get to know each other pretty fast. Um, I've seen it happen. So for Phillip, I'm not all that concerned. Trey's been in this system, right? Trey's been in this system and, and man, I didn't, I haven't even mentioned Trey yet. I'm so, I'm so excited to have Trey. Um, great. What a great person he is. And then I just think about, how many times I saw Trey when 2018, when we first got here and Frank uh, and Frank and I were watching tape together, you know, when we're watching Philadelphia tape or charger tape together to talk about the offense, how many plays I saw that guy make my goodness that to, and then just when we signed, I'm just thinking back on that, man, it's, it's so exciting to get him, but you know, he's been in this system. And like I said, the, it, yes, it's it's a li- we're blessed and we're that we have been together in this system for the players that have been here, right? There's not not every staff's like that. Some staffs have undergone uh, offense coordinator changes and system changes. Some some have brand new head coaches where they're going through that. That's hard. I, I get that. So we feel at an advantage that we're just reviewing and refamiliarizing ourselves with the offense. But no doubt, uh, these guys got to get in that same chemistry uh, with each other. But Again, I've seen it. I've seen it work fast for Philip as far as Pittman and um, for Pittman and, and Jonathan. Um, and then 
not not as concerned with with Trey and Philip because of because they've been in the system. Last question, Greg Doyle. Yeah, Nick. Um, I don't play ping pong, but you see that cat right there? I do. If you got a cat, my cat can kick your cat's ass. <laughs> Frankly, if you have a dog, I'll take my cat. That cat's that cat's nasty, then, right? My dog. I don't know. My dog's a wuss. I, you're probably right. there's no question. That cat is five pounds of pure holy hell. I promise you that. <laughs> um, so, a T.Y. Hilton question for you. Come, coming off the year, he's coming off um, for all kinds of reasons. Um, also, in the last year of his contract, he just turned 30. He just seems like a guy that goes and look, looks for chips to put on his shoulder, and, and he doesn't have to look very hard. What do you, what do you expect from him? Hey, Greg, good to see you. Good question. Hey. Um, you know, T.Y., yeah, he – yeah, he he. I, I expect I expect a great bounce back uh, from a year that he had a lot of injuries with, right? Uh, you know, he, you know, looking back at 2000, I expect the 2018 version of him. Um, and again, to stay healthy through the year. And if if Ty stays healthy through the year, that there's no doubt in my mind that that's that's what we'll see, because he's highly competitive, he's highly intelligent. Um, and he's going to take advantage of his opportunities, and so this, he's definitely the, still the the main pe- the main piece of this offense. Ty Hilton is who we, this pass offense runs through, and so you know I think about what we're at, things will be schemed to get him the football, and so you know I know he's worked hard on his body and worked hard through the the off season. He's our guy. He's our he's our lead dog. He's our alpha dog, and he stays healthy. Sky's the limit uh, again for him. And I know. Last follow up to that is Rivers throws the ball differently than Jacoby, differently than most quarterbacks. He throws the ball a long way. Um, what does that mean for a guy like Ty, who in space and speed yeah. and all that? Yeah, it's a good question, Greg. Um, the um, I think back again. I, a lot of this I, I'm able to. I'm able to answer a lot of these Philip questions because I've I've been there before, right? I've been in the, some of these past game plan meetings and thinking of who he fits good. And I think about in, in 2000, uh, in 2016 or 17, I think it was 16. We had Travis Benjamin and we had Tyrell Williams, and they let they were number one and number two in the NFL, I believe. You guys can check me on that. If they're not one and two, then they are in the top five of yards either. I think that was plus 40 yard gains. And I think that I'm right with one and two. They were number one and number two in the NFL and plus 40 yard gains. And so, you know, what did those guys have? What did Tyrell Williams and why do I bring that up? What did Tyrell Tyrell Williams and Travis Benjamin had? They had speed. They had flat out speed. T.Y. Hilton has flat out speed. And so, you know, that makes me really excited. and And I can just picture some of these plays. I can picture this post that Travis ran against Cleveland game one against cover four and Phillip dropped it right in there to him for a 70 yard game to start the game. I just envisioned T.Y. doing that. And I think about, you know, Tyrell running this over route, you know, plays that are in our offense and Phillip putting putting it right on the money and Tyrell being able to run with it. So I'm, I'm just super excited. Um, I'm just super excited and see the parallels that we've had with other players um, that Phillips had with other players that really will fit uh, some of these, these things T.Y. can do. 
That was Colts offensive coordinator Nick Sirianni talking about what the Colts offense might look like this year and what's going on right now through the virtual offseason program. And Mike, I think one of the more intriguing things that we will see with the Colts offense this year is something that Sirianni touched on, and that's Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor are both working together. When you take a running back and you trade up in the second round to get a running back, he's not just going to sit on the bench and get five carries a game behind your number one Marlon Mack, who was a 1,000-plus yard back last year. He's going to eat into his touches. He's going to eat into Naheem Hines' touches. Um, so how, how those three guys are able to carve out roles for themselves will be, will be intriguing to me, and it's something that uh, Sirianni, of course, had plenty to say about himself, too. I want to see how that works. I, I really do. You get, what, 60 plays a game, 65 if things are going well. And it's one of those where do the math and you start you start taking off plays where you've got T.Y. Hilton, you've got Paris Campbell, you've got Michael Pittman, you've got Jack Doyle, you've got Trey Burton in the passing game. There's Again, there's only so many plays. And, and, and then you get to the running game where, where Marlon Mack is going to get his carries. He just is. But you took Jonathan Taylor n- not to be, you know, the future. He has to be the future. But, but not at the expense of the – so he's going to get his touches. And then all of a sudden you got Naheem Hines, and, and you didn't mention Jordan Wilkins. I would think he's the one that's going to be really wondering where his carries are, barring, barring injury. I mean, injuries always have a way of getting other guys involved. But like last year, Marlon Mack, uh, Mack played 47% of the snaps, missing, what was it, two games? And Hines is 31%. And I think Frank mentioned that Hines' touches or his snaps are going to go down because they have to. So how are you going to use a unique talent like Naheem Hines? And he is a unique talent. I'm not going to say he is Darren Sproles, but he's that kind of player where you want him out in space. You don't want him pounding 15 carries a game. But when you have, you know, if you didn't have Paris Campbell, then maybe not. Is your is a slot receiver, the third receiver a lot. So I really want to see how they find enough carries. Let's say 18 carries for Mac and 13 for, for for Williams, and still find ways to get Hines his touches. And I'm not talking punt returns. I'm talking in the offense because he shows us he shows what he can do when he's given the ball in space. And Joe, that's something that Sirianni touched on as well, talking about Philip Rivers' history with running backs like Naheem Hines, pass-catching guys. Like, there are some times when last year the Colts got the brunt of it with Austin Eichler. He had a heck of a game week one against Indy, had a couple of game-breaking plays, and you saw firsthand what that kind of a player can do. And there's no way the Colts completely um, just throw out that uh, that. Um, what's it called, that, that I guess talent that, that Rivers has to be able to dump it off and find the exact right spot. It is also a talent. It's it's a talent to be able to throw down the field. That's something that we've talked about the Colts being lacking last year in big chunk plays. But you've got to be able to look down and find the running back, not overshoot him, put him in a place where he can take the ball and immediately run forward and not gather his momentum and then go. So that, that's something that Rivers has had plenty of success in in the past. And there are times when Naheem Hines is going to have those opportunities this year, I would think. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting when they were talking about finding creative ways um, to really utilize River skill with that. Um, it's an under, underrated aspect of quarterback play. It, how many times do you see like a Rivers or a Tom Brady 
just a short little pass to a running back and it turns into a first down or a touchdown. Um, and I thought all last year that that was an underutilized aspect of the Colts offense, especially with all the injuries that were receiver. I thought the running backs could have been a lot more involved in the passing game. So I think that's certainly an exciting thing to look forward to in this offense with these talented running backs who can all catch the football and do some dangerous things with it afterwards. And, and also, what, if you can do what they want to do as far as stretching the field with T.Y. and Pittman and Campbell, w- when you can spread the field and get have people worrying about deep, then that underneath is open. Uh, again, one of the issues they're, they're going to have with Hines, it, 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 it could be difficult to, to avoid, is if he gets X number of snaps a game, you're, you're only defense on alert that, that, hey, okay, here we go with Naheem Hines because here's his five or six plays a game or whatever. So it's it, it's an interesting problem to have, but it's still going to be an issue in how you get all the people who you think can do certain things enough times to do those certain things. And Frank even mentioned there may be games where Hines has virtually no catches. He said, I, he said, I see games where he may have 10 catches. So, it, again, if people stay healthy, which they never do, uh, we're going to see how creative – uh, Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni can be with, with the people that they're dealing with. On the other side of the ball, uh, Matt Eberflus, Colts defensive coordinator, has a couple of extra talented young men to see what he can put together and piece together on the Colts defense, specifically DeForest Buckner, who we talked about a little bit this week, and plenty of other topics with the Colts defense as well. Let's hear from defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus. I think I remember either you or uh, Chris Ballard saying at some point that uh, that getting this defense off the ground, you know, is a is kind of a process in, in terms of uh, what your expectations are and all of those things, just because it's a little different than maybe what players are used to. Uh, where do you think or how do you think that process has gone the first couple of years? And what is the next step as far as that process and, and just the development of, this, of the uh, system? Yeah, I think that's a, a good question, Stephen. And, you know, we came in here, you know, in 2018, a couple of years ago, we were switching over from a 3-4 uh, into a 4-3. So I think the first year um, that was part of it, you know, in terms of the transition. But more importantly, it was really setting the standards. Um, and setting the standards, I mean that how in which we want to play, we want to play at a certain level in terms of effort, in terms of our intensity and in terms of our execution, um, you know, down in and down out. So, and, and, you know, obviously when you do that and you play a certain way, you have to practice a certain way. So that's all encompassing. So I think the switch from there and also the standards, setting the standards um, is, is, is a big part of that first year. And I think that the, when we, we assessed that season, we looked at it and said, Hey, we, we did a, a you know, relatively good job of, of doing that. You know, we made the switch from 3-4, and then we also set the standards in terms of the guys. If you just watch it from 10,000 feet, I think you can see the effort and the hitting and, and the things we want to see on tape in terms of the, you know, the thing that Coach Dunsey used to always stress is the quickness and the instincts and the striking ability. And we still stress those things today. And I think that's first year we saw that. Now the second year – we end up drafting a bunch of rookies um, and, and we were making the transition to more of a personnel uh, standpoint 
you know, not that we didn't do that the first year because we did, you know, obviously we got Darius Leonard and, and all those, but in uh, Teray and, and, and those guys too. But the second year we drafted a bunch of guys um, defensively and we were going to set, we were going to put those guys in and play because we knew that they were our future and they're going to be our future and they're going to be a big part of our success going forward. So we knew that we were going to put them in there and we couldn't be afraid to put them in there right away so they can get that experience and playing time because we knew they were good enough. They just needed experience. Uh, point in case, you know, Rock Yassine or Kari Willis or Bobby Okariki or Ben Banigou or Marvell Tell or any of those guys that we put in there. And we knew that at the end of this year, in 2019, we wanted to have a young but experienced defense. And, and that's what we have now. So we have a, a guys that have had a lot of play underneath their belt, and they understand what the standards are. And also going forward for this year with the acquisitions that we've had, you know, we feel, we feel good where we are right now. But, again, um, situations have, have dictated us that we're not able to evaluate the way we normally do. So um, we're going to have to adjust and adapt to those uh, situations. And Phil B. Thanks, Coach, for your time today. Um, I'm wondering, when it comes to closing out games, what are your areas of emphasis going into the season for your defense? Yeah, so to close out games, you know, in, in any any year or any any situation, I think that it's important that we have great stamina. we got to be in great shape. Um, you know, Coach Frank does a great job of putting us in those situations where um, in practice, you know, once we do get to practice, we'll get to be able uh, uh, to implement all of our defenses in two minute. You know, and then last year, you know, we were a solid two minute defense. Um, you know, and we were the first year also. But and the reason we are is because we do a lot of the same things that we do. Um, you know, on first and second down, we just we just really just carry those over. And closing out games really comes down to the first and foremost, the most important thing is the pass rush. And I think with the addition of DeForest Buckner, um, you know, Justin Houston getting a healthy terrain there, that will speed the quarterback up and we'll have an opportunity to close out games um, with our pass rush in, in just the rush and cover and cover and rush aspect of it. Thank you. Yeah, we'll do Joel Eric. <laughs> Uh, hey, coach. Um, what do you what do you think about Xavier Rhodes and what he can bring to your your defense and and what you know getting him back with Coach Gannon is going to do? Yeah, we we had we had Zave a couple years ago when I was uh, coaching at the other place that I was at. We were we were coaching in the Pro Bowl and we had him there, and uh, I just fell in love with him. You know, in terms of his work patterns and and I, I just was just amazed how the guy can move or how big he is. I mean, the guy, the guy is, looks like a, he looks like a, a big, big safety and he's playing corner. And uh, we just really fell in love with it. He's a physical, really good tackler. And, uh, you know, has played at a Pro Bowl level. And we're excited to get him back to that point. And, and we certainly feel great about Jonathan Gannon, Alan Williams in the back end coaching him because they have some familiarity with him. But we're excited about where he is. And, um, and we feel that, and I know Chris has said this as well, that he has a chip on his shoulder uh, in lieu of the circumstances, and, and we're excited about that. So um, we'll see where he goes from there, but let's, let's get him on the grass and, and then start working with him. But we're, we're uh, certainly uh, pleased with uh, having Zay. Jake Arthur? Yeah, hey, Coach. How you doing? Um, 
so we talked to Rob Windsor after the draft, and he mentioned that he he's played one tech and three tech, and his weight has ranged anywhere from like 280 to 315. Uh, you guys have some pretty good depth now at both spots. Uh, where where do you envision him primarily? Yeah, that's that's always a good question when you have a guy that has played both. Um, I think once we get our hands on them and start practicing and evaluating them, I think we'll have a better understanding of where we want to play those, uh, to play him. But I will say this is that we want to have, you know, at least four guys inside that we can rotate. And, and we see him having the ability to challenge for one of those spots. And, you know, him having the ability to play both certainly helps him out in that regard to be able to play the one or the three. So we'll let that play itself out and then we'll just go from there in terms of our evaluation of practice. Thanks. Mike Wells. Hey, Flus, how you doing? Um, hey, Mike. The, you, you touched on the fourth a little earlier, but can you kind of elaborate more what he can do for your defense, not only on, on the line, but also the trickle down effect for your linebackers, Anthony, Bobby, and, and Darius? Yeah, you know, you know, getting a guy like DeForest, you know, you, you, you asked the question when we got him in terms of, hey, if we can draft this X player or this other player at 13, or would you rather have DeForest Buckner? And I'm like, oh, well, Alicia, you know what you're getting with DeForest, exactly what you're getting. You're getting a, a Pro Bowl talent, a high-level player um, that, that's, uh, you know, dominated his position. You know, so the trickle-down effect to uh, answer that is whenever you have a defensive line, uh, DeForest, Justin, and different guys up front that can dominate their spot up front, it's easier to play uh, linebacker and it's easier to play in coverage because everything's sped up and the, and the line of scrimmage is changing for the run game. So there's a, there's a lot of things that are, are beneficial to having a really – good three technique and I know I know that uh, we've talked about that as a franchise and I know that it's so important to be able to have that you know um, and I'll go I'll go over to say this too is that just remind you know uh, we, we end up losing uh, uh, John Turlink uh, last night uh, one of the greatest uh, coaches ever to, to step foot in our building and uh, we are certainly uh, uh, mindful of that today and uh, but what a great coach and what a what an awesome job he's done uh, and did with coaching that exact thing we're talking about the defensive line. So it all starts up front, and um, and uh, it, you got to coach to it and you got to acquire it and you got to do a great job of, of just keep, keep putting the resources there, which we've done in the past. Bob Kravitz. Hey, Matt. I'm curious, how much of your defense is predicated on limiting big plays, and why has that become such a point of emphasis throughout the league uh, when it comes to defenses? Yeah, the, the, the first year we were here, we, we, I think we were in the top five. I want to say the top five in 2018. Last year we were in the middle of the road uh, in regards to that. And uh, the emphasis is put on that because it's, it's about winning. You know, if you, if you eliminate the big plays on defense, obviously you're always looking at scoring defense, but the elimination of big plays, it's hard to score if you, if you go all the way to, to, and to go all the way down the field without a big play. 
you know, so it's important that we decrease their scoring opportunities with that, with that category in terms of eliminating the big play. So that's really it is. It's just about winning, you know, just like taking the ball away and protecting the football that everybody talks about all the time. That's another really good parameter, another good category or, or stat to look at. And, and, and we stress that a lot with, um, you know, different principles in our defense, but we, we certainly want to be up in the top five again this year in that category. Thanks. Kevin Bowen. Hey, Matt, thanks for doing this. Um, what attracted you to Julian Blackman and, and how big of a kind of versatile asset is he in today's game with how things have evolved? Yeah, that's a, a, a good question there, Kev. I would say that Julian is, is a guy that's a lot like, um, you know, some of the guys we have on our team, meaning that he can play different positions um, in our secondary, um, you know, the, the first thing that came that, that, that pops off the tape right there is his ability to take the football away. You know, so when you have that ability, you, you're, you're what we call a game changer. You're a guy that can help us win football games by taking the, the football away. So that's number one. And then number two is just uh, the, the, the thing you're alluding to is that his versatility. You know, he can play on a tight end. He can potentially play on a bigger type receiver. He can play in the deep part of the field. He can drop down into the box and play the run. So um, we're excited to have Julian um, in there. And then just in terms of how they speak about him, you know, at Utah, we know several other coaches there. And, and you know, in the way he plays, he is so close to our standard already. And he doesn't have a far way to go in terms of learning how to play. And that's why a lot of these guys are drafted for us because they already play a certain way in college. And, and we like what we see there in terms of that. And then we just bring them here and then we just kind of enhance that. Andrew Walker. Hey, Coach. Um, you talked about how the three kind of key spots in this defense are the will, the nickel, and, and the three tech. Um, with Darius Kinney and now the force, you've got three really solid guys at those spots. How do, how do those spots kind of work together in concert in this defense? And how nice is it to know, you know, you've got them covered now uh, with those particular guys for the, for the next few years? Yeah, Chris and his crew have done a great job acquiring those guys, um, all three different ways of acquiring a player. But um, when you have those guys in those hot spots, um, the, you know, the three technique is the engine that drives um, the D line and it drives it drives the whole the whole defense, and then having a, a a guy at like Kenny Moore and also Darius at the two spots that are right in the middle of, of the defense. You know, Darius um, when the ball basically, if you watch Darius and look and see where he is, he's standing over the football pretty much every time. You know, so the mic some sometimes gets pulled out of there, but that will linebacker for us the way we have it set up stands over the football. So we have a, a premier impact player right there that's in the middle of it, along with a three technique um, in, in DeForest that's right, also right in the middle of it. Then you have Kenny that's more athletic, quick. Now DeForest and uh, Darius would obviously argue that, but he's, he's, he's an athletic player that's in space that has those, those, that quickness and that strike and the playmaking ability that Kenny has. So you know, those are three, if you look at it like a triangle, kind of a reverse triangle, you got DeForest up front and you got those two guys sitting right there. That, that, that helps you to be a strong defense, and that's what we're, we're, we're wanting to be. Mike Chappell. Yeah, Coach, how you doing? 
Uh, Good. Touched on it earlier, but with with getting Buckner, were you in on the on the discussion early on? And I guess what was your input once Chris said, "Hey, we're thinking about this." I assume you were pushing it all all along. Uh, yes, uh, Frank and I were both in those discussions, and I had two words: yes and yes. So I was uh, I was excited when he started to talk about. Um, getting DeForest and uh, acquiring him. And there was not any hesitation. I, I, I went and watched, when we first started talking about it early on, I went and watched a few games, some of the, some of the playoff games, and, and went back and watched some of the earlier games. You know, because we've seen him over the years. You, know, you saw him when he came out. And you've seen him over the years because, you know, obviously the crossover games and, you know, obviously being in the league, you see him. And uh, – He's, what's amazing to me is what he's done in terms of the play, the, the percentage. I mean, we're talking about high 80s, 90% of play time. And the guy just plays. And he loves to play football, you know. And, and, you know, a couple of the guys that, you know, that I know that have been around him, you know, contacted us right afterwards and said, you have no idea what you're getting in terms of a practice player, in terms of a leader. And, and the impact he's going to have on your football team. So, um, from A to Z, we were we were like yes, and then again yes. Zach Kiefer. Hey Matt, how you doing? Hey Zach, what's up? I wanted to ask you about something you said a minute ago to Holder's question about playing young guys early in their careers. It sounds like that was a point from you and Chris. Um, we know how much he's turned over the defense, but. What was that like the last couple of years in terms of got playing guys that were young that you knew were going to make mistakes and and you guys are pretty convicted in the fact that this is going to pay off for you in the in the years to come because Kari played a lot last year Marvell Tell played a lot Rock played you know he started every game um, that that was the thinking then just get these guys out there and they're going to learn but we're going to take some lumps along the way yeah I mean you know I, we think and we feel that and we believe in every one of those guys so. Um, you know, when you play, you know, you remember when you, you know, we all first started doing our jobs, you know, coaching or writing or, or on TV or what, whatever that might be is that, you know, you get better at it, you know, you get better at doing your job and, and, it, and that takes experience. And that, that was just simply the situation we were in, you know, we were in, in a, you know, we were turning over a defense from a three, four defense to a four, three defense. And, and that's okay. We, we understand in the vision that we had from Coach Frank and Chris, we knew that, hey, this was the vision that we have, and it's going to be it's, – it's a building process. You know, we take one step at a time. And we felt that after those first four games that we started to really come on, there's, there was a situation in the middle there where a lot of those young players are playing at a very high level, we thought. And, and the, you know, and there's – the eight games or 10 games in the middle there where we thought that we were doing a, a nice job um, of, of uh, you know, we were winning those games. And I thought we were doing a decent job of that. So I, I think that it's, it's going to pay off. I know it will. Um, we believe it. Like I said, we believe in those guys and the maturation of each one of those players. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's a, a Walker or, or hook guys that were there one year before us, or guys that we did got the first year, Darius, you know, or, you know, uh, 
Teray or the, or the six guys we got last year, you know, or the three guys or four guys we got this year. So that's that's just turning over the roster and building, having building blocks, which we have um, in that ex, uh, inexperience, turn it into experience. Jim Mahalo. Hey, man, thanks for doing this. I uh, wanted to ask about Malik. You mentioned him just a second ago. I, I just wanted, you know, I remember talking to him at the end of the year, and he was saying that there was – he just felt like he was close to making a lot of plays. I think you know, he, had a couple, he had a couple interceptions, but he felt like there was some where he was just right there. I was curious if you could talk about what would be the next step for him to take in his career, for him to get to the place I think everyone thought, you know, he was going to get to when he was a first-round pick. And then after, uh, if you don't mind, just talking about um, maybe those three safety lineups you might have with, with, with Julian and Malik and, and Kari and some of the other guys you guys have. Yeah, so the safety position for us is a very important position, um, you know, because those guys, they do a lot of different things. You know, they have to be versatile. And to answer your first question about Malik, I would say that if you watch Malik last year, when I watched him in practice, you know, because we've only had him for two years, and I really saw a step in terms of his practice. Um, you know, in training camp, I could see it. Early on in the season, I could see it. He really started to bust his tail and go the way we were talking about going, all of us in practice, in terms of effort, execution, playmaking. And I, and I feel that he was taking steps in that direction. I really do, because if you watched him um, in, in some of those games, the, I think I, I just refer back to some of the plays we're watching with the players right now, the Miami game or the Denver game and, and, and the Pittsburgh game, and those games that we had, he really was playing well at a very high level, okay? Uh, what he does and what everybody else does has to do is that just be more consistent. You know, if you're going to be a high-performing player, an all-pro player, or a, you know, a high-performing starter, the consistency just has to be there, okay? So, um, and that's what we're asking all of our players to be, you know, practice consistently and then play consistently, and that's what we're, we're, we're going to get. And, and, you know, you're, you're playing the games doesn't fall far from the, the, the practice. And so that's what we're just searching for is the consistency in all of our players. And then the answer to the second part of your question, those, the, you know, how the lineup in terms of Julian and George and Kari and Hook, you know, and Milligan and all those different guys, those are all pieces that we look at um, during the training camp and also during the, the season. What's our best matchup? What gives us the best chance to be successful, um, be it on first down? or in two minute or third down or in the red zone. So we have always paired those guys in different ways that are advantageous that we feel to our defense to be successful. And we'll do just a couple more here, Kevin Bowen. Matt, um, you mentioned your interior defensive line guys playing multiple spots. Do you think Danico or Taekwon could give you some help outside with, with Jabal no longer here? Yeah, that's, that's a good question, and I know there's been some talk about that. And I, I certainly agree that that's something we should look at and we are looking at. And uh, we'll, see, we'll see how that plays out, Kevin. But um, that's certainly a big thought for us, you know, to be able to – and that's kind of what Autry did before and, and Taekwondo. They have both done that. They both played left in, they played right in, and they played inside. So having a player like that or having players like that is certainly uh, – a good thing for our defense. And last two, we'll, we'll do Stephen Holder and then Chapel to finish off. So go ahead, Stephen. All right. Hey, um, 
so I was just wondering, late last season, um, you know, you were talking about consistency there with Malik just now. And I mean, as far as the defense overall, did you feel like consistency was an issue at the end of the season there? Because you had had a stretch where it looked like you guys were rolling. And, and I don't know that that continued. So what, what were your thoughts on that? And what did you think maybe was a factor? So. Yeah, I think we were, we were, I think our football team was just disappointed at how we finished, you know, uh, the, the year last year. Um, and we're all aware of that. And, you know, we're, our, our eyes are forward now uh, working on uh, this 2020 season, but just to look back and reflect as we look back on it, I just think some of it was, uh, you know, continuity in terms of injury at times. And I just think that we just need to perform better um, as a group and as a football team. Mike Chappell, last question. Matt, I'm curious, as much as you guys try to develop the young players and, and form your defense, what problems is this offseason going to create? You don't know how much field time you're going to have. It could be three. It could be no training. What problems is this going to create to come up with your best defense, personnel-wise? Yeah, I mean, um, I think that's a really good question and something that we're constantly looking at because, as you guys know, in this situation, it changes day by day and then week to week of what you can do and what you can't do. So we have to be ready to adjust, adapt, and overcome any obstacles or adversities. And I think that the team that can do that is going to be the most successful. And number one is it's, I think, continuity of the group. I mean, I feel really decent about, really good about, the uh, like I said, the young but experienced defense, and if they understand the principles of which we want to play, they understand the calls, and I think that if we keep it simple, you know, with with uh, with the way we teach and the way we execute, I think that we can have some success. That was Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus, and uh, Mike, you you heard it straight from him. If it's Chris Ballard's job to bring in guys and to decide what to do with the roster, but, but you talk to Eberflus about the addition of DeForest Buckner. It's very simple. Yes and yes. Get him on this team, yeah? Yeah, Ted, I, I, I don't want to say that I watch WWE a lot, but is it Daniel Bryan? You know, yes, yes. Uh, he, said, yes. He, said, he said he had two words when it came up. He said yes and yes. So, and, and again, at the risk of, of them putting – too much pressure on a player. They have made it very clear that Buckner and the position he plays at three technique tackle drives not the defensive line. It drives the defense. It just allows everybody to do more. This is their best uh, three technique tackle since we were talking Booger McFarland in 2006. And he just allows everybody. He's going to lift the play. If, if he does what he's done and in, also, he's missed. Has he missed like one game? I think since he's been in the league. Very few, yes. So he's on the field. He's on the field. Uh, but he's going to make Justin Houston better. He's going to make Kamoko Ture better. The interior guys, Grover Stewart, Danico Autry. We'll see what Tycon Lewis. But he's going to make the linebackers better. And where we should see the biggest jump, he's going to make the corners better because you're not going to have to ideally cover as long. You know, it's always one of those, would you rather have a really, really good pass rush or really, really good cover? I would probably take a pass rush because a, a really good pass rush can turn mediocre corners into, into efficient corners. And we're going to see if this one guy, including Sheldon Day, who's going to be 
big in the rotation can make that much of a difference, and that's what they anticipate. And, Joe, you have to expect, if you're a Colts fan going into 2020, that the defense takes steps forward this year. I mean, you look at the guys who are no longer on the roster. It's Clayton Gathers who's no longer on the roster, who was really supplanted by Kari Willis by the end of last year. Um, it's it's guys like a Pierre Desir who's no longer on the roster, but has now been replaced by a pro bowler and Xavier Rhodes. Um, so, so, and then you bring in DeForest Buckner in the middle. You get guys like Darius Leonard, who's a year older, Bobby Okereke, Anthony Walker, who we've spoken about earlier. That you, you have to think that this Colts defense takes a step forward, and if not, it's a pretty significant disappointment, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Eberflus kind of talked about how they gave so many young players and rookie players snaps and opportunities to play and, you know, take their lumps and learn from their mistakes last year. And I think that's going to play huge dividends going forward. I mean, I, I think Rock Kassin is going to have a breakout year and really establish himself as an at least an above average corner in the NFL this year. Um, and I think Okariki is going to take a big step because and Kari Willis, I mean, it came out recently, you know, not only was he playing good football as a rookie, but he was dealing with a lot off the field with um with his, you know, young children as well with his babies. So uh, I think just the opportunity for the young players to get on the field and learn last season is going to be great now that they're veterans in 2020. That's the one thing that Iberflow said. He said, we, we made, like you said, they made a conscious effort commitment to play young players last year and you know maybe arguably the, the best defensive game they played was at kansas city and at one point they had five rookies on the field darius leonard didn't play clayton gathers didn't play and somebody else was out i don't know who it was i can't remember top of my head but th- this was a young young defense playing very well against a, a, a quality quality super bowl team so uh, they showed glimpses, flashes last year. They had the serious fade in, in December. But, again, they just really believed that what in the offseason, again, trading roads for uh, Desir, still scratch your head a little bit about that. But they really believe they've taken, was it uh, Anthony Walker told us, he thought they, that what they've done was take a good defense, and now it's an elite defense, or at least on paper. So we'll see. Yeah, Mike, I, I think it's yeah, uh, Malik Hooker who didn't play in that Chiefs hey, game. So those are all three prime players in the defense, and they played great that game. Yeah, and Mike mentioned the uh, Anthony Walker talk about the defense. You can listen, as I mentioned earlier, to that full Anthony Walker interview from this week online, fox59.com, cbs4indy.com, as well as Ryan Kelly, what he had to say about going through this offseason. Check out all of Mike Chappell's content there, some extra video stuff for you as well to uh, to fill in the gaps between the uh, Colts Blue Zone podcast, which comes to you typically every Thursday afternoon. So that has been a uh, interview-heavy Colts Blue Zone podcast with some uh, chat from us in between as well. So we do thank you for listening. Please subscribe to us, get it delivered to your podcast listening device week after week. You can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. Please chime in, reply to us on Twitter mention us and if you have any questions we'll be happy to dive into them and uh, get, put a little bit of time into answering the things that you think are relevant this virtual off season for the Colts and moving forward and so you can follow me specifically at Dave G underscore sports Mike Chappell is at M Chappell 51 Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe and once again we are the at Colts Blue Zone so thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on the Colts Blue Zone podcast <laughs>